book of Job. You can turn Job chapter, let's see, 3. And we were at the point now where we were just starting to discuss Job's three friends. Okay? And the fourth younger man who also has something to say. And as we get into that, what we're going to do, we're going to get as far as we can today. But the major piece, and this is still setting the stage of what this is all about. I hope you have been here. If you haven't been here for all of, I think about, about the four, maybe five or six lessons we've had so far in Job, you really need to get level set because you have to understand the basis of this whole story before you can really understand where we're going to go with it. But the most important features of this book really is not the conversation between Job and his friends, although they're very important. So I'm not, I'm not denigrating that or negating the importance. The most important feature, which we are setting up for, is when God says to Job, stand up and gird yourself like a man because I have got some questions for you. We are going to learn so much about God. If, if you were here for these last lessons we've had, you've learned about suffering and its place. And you may have learned some things you already knew, like I already knew, but when you see it from the standpoint of how Job allows God to show us what suffering is about, what it means, and especially Job's position in all this, you can also not only see that God sympathizes with us in our humanness through what he allows to happen to Job, but you can see how God operates. And we are looking at scripture mainly to understand God's heart, his mind, his character, and his point of view. So that's what we're learning here. So we're getting in the middle of this thing. But in Job chapter 3 and 16, I want you to see how painful Job's circumstances And he has lost everything. Everything. The only thing he and his wife left are he and his wife. That's all they have left, pretty much, and his, his friends. By the way, one of his friends, Eliphaz, is a cousin of his. So that's it. That's really all he's got left. And it uh, turns out for, for the good of everybody concerned at the end. So Job chapter 3 and verse 16. Oh, why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Can you imagine somebody, you ever get to the point in your own life where you said, I just wish I wasn't born? Right? I mean, we've seen that in other characters in the Bible too, like Jonah. Remember how Jonah's depression got the better of him and God seemed to exacerbate it before he taught him something through it. And so here's the same kind of thing. And it's normal and God sympathizes with us, but we can't live in depression. We cannot live in the woes me mode. Because you and I will never, ever, ever, ever be useful to God for too long in that mode. And society wants you to be a victim. Okay? I'm just telling you, this is what we're seeing. But, but there is call for deep-seated feelings and pain. And it's good. It's good to cry out to the Lord and even to, to say, God, what is going on here? We've seen David do that. How much in the Psalms? You want to look at some crying to God and some complaining? Go to the Psalms. So I want to dovetail all of these concepts together because you can see that throughout Scripture, through the various characters, they really don't change. They're just driven from different points of view. Everybody suffers. How we handle it is dictated by who we are, our position in life, our life experiences, our worldview, and so forth. So Job handles suffering very differently than David handles suffering. But if you look at it, they're really not that different. Really, they're not, as far as their suffering goes. Very deep pain was generated from something that God allowed to be touched that was very close to them, either themselves or the children or their, their uh, tenure with Israel, whatever it might be. I mean, you saw that in Abraham and, and others. So I'm going to move down to um, Job uh, chapter 3 and um, 18. Oh, let's go to 17. We'll just read it through. There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. He's talking about in the grave. Well, that's kind of true, but... What good is that? 
Captors also enjoy their ease. They, are no, long, they no longer hear the, slave's driver, the slave drivers shout. He's saying that the grave is the great equalizer and just there's no pain, there's no nothing. It's just numb because he's numb in pain, this poor man. He's just numb in pain. The small and great are there in the grave and the slave is freed from his master. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of the soul? He's saying, why is it that this, all of this anguish and suffering have to be given those who have life? It, it's sort of ironic if you think about it, but it doesn't make sense in, in one way. But if you think about it, another way of saying this is, you ever hear of the old saying? My father used to say this. He said, uh, it's a shame that youth is wasted on the young. You know, because people have said, uh, maybe they've asked you in life, you know, would you like to be 18 again or 20 again? No. I mean, if you give me the body and the hair and, and everything else I had, sure. But, but I would not give up my mind and my heart and my character or anything that I've gained. And, you know, it's not just Christians who think that way. Even the ungodly think that way. Because I've talked to a lot of people, like you probably have, and they say, as we talk, just about in general, and we don't even bring Scripture into it. They're not believers in God. Who knows what they believe? But they feel the same way. I wouldn't trade who I am now for, you know, give everything up and have a youthful body again. So he's saying here, I'd give it all up if I could just have the peace. I'd even go right to the grave. I wish I wasn't even born. That's how depressed he is. Verse 21, to those who long for death that does not come. Ooh. By the way, what's going to happen during the tribulation time? There are going to be people here who will long for death, and a part of the curse is that death will not come for them. For those who search for it more than hidden treasure. Imagine desiring death more than treasure. That man's hurting. Who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? You see, he's talking about himself here. For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared, ah, this is what I had quoted you from the beginning. This is the very beginning of this book. What I feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And remember I told you and I showed you he was a very uh, superstitious man, not in a bad way, but he was kind of always giving sacrifices and so forth for his children because he was concerned that they were going to sin and they weren't, you know, they weren't going to be paid for by sacrifice. So, It is a good thing for us to sample Job's heart-wrenching despair because not only does it help us to know that we are never wrong in God's sight to feel and express our deepest despair and emotional and physical pain. You are never wrong to hurt. And if you ever counsel somebody because of your friendship, remember, everything is in the context of relationship. And I've had to learn this the hard way too because I told you this before. I don't feel I'm a very compassionate man by nature. I'm just not built like that. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. And then I'll say, don't ask my wife, she'll tell you. But... <laughs> But having said that, I, I, I'm not saying I lack compassion. What I'm saying is I had to learn to feel. I had to learn to feel more. And that doesn't mean you become a pushover for anybody because you have to also stand up for what's right and good and, and, and true and just. But I never really understood what it was like until I started, well, until I had a lot of pain in my own personal life. And I told you about 11 years ago. And I understood after that more what it means to be in deep pain. And it's never wrong to express that pain. It's never wrong. The only thing wrong is to do what, thankfully, Job didn't do, is number one is to try and convict God. You don't do that because th these others are trying to do that, but they're going to be taken to task for this. And Job is going to have to, have to pray for his three friends because God is angry at them because they're basically charging God. And, and it says, remember we read the passage a, a couple weeks ago when we were last talking about Job, and in all of Job's suffering, he never was foolish enough to charge God. 
And that was this whole thing. That was what this whole thing was about, right? Satan said, he'll curse you to your face, God. Let me talk him enough, right? But it didn't happen. You think that maybe sometimes God allows that to happen to you and me? That Satan says, have you seen my servant? Put your name here. And you don't know this is happening just like Job didn't. And you lose a loved one or you, you lose a, you know, you, you, you come down with cancer or any, anything that's a heart stopper for your life. And Satan may be allowed to be doing that and you don't even know. But never charge God foolishly. How you react is something that's part of your training like I had to in a different way than anybody else, but you know what I'm saying here. And this is the, this is the point here. So it's never, never, never bad to feel pain and never bad to express it. And let the healing happen. Don't let anybody tell you you need to get over it or you need to read scripture better or you need to pray better. You know what? You have your time with God to get over whatever it is. The key is that you do get over it. There is a mourning period. And all the scripture in the world and all knowing God for, for years and years and being a Christian for years, and, and it doesn't matter who you are. When pain comes, it needs to be dealt with fairly and well and in the right way. And remember, no matter whatever happens to you and me in this life, the point is to finish well. To finish well. Look at your goal. Like Paul says, I, I run to achieve a prize. He's not running just to make it every day. You know, I need to be here tomorrow. I need to be here tomorrow. And that's how we live, right? I need to do this, that, and the other thing. We're always living near term. You can't live life like that in reality. You always have to be going for a goal. Keep your eye on that goal. Finish well, because just finishing, like we saw it with some people with great starts, like uh, King Solomon, King Saul. Some people had some really good starts and had some bad ends. Right? You know some people personally probably like that too. But as always, God is in all of this and will comfort and deliver from it, but only when the time is right and only when it brings glory and honor to Him, which includes the timing. And only after allowing the suffering or the pain or the cause of the pain to run its course. All of it has good purpose. All of it is for the distinct glory of God. The only thing you and I don't know is how long, O oh Lord. Right? And especially if you lose a loved one, you know for sure, like David said, I will not see my son. But he did start eating again and perked up when his son actually died. That seems opposite. We talked about that. But suffering, he knows. We're going to see Job in a moment here also knows that there is a Redeemer. And I, he will not come back to me, but I know. I know I will see him. And rest assured, because I've showed you this in Scripture too, if you have relatives or friends or even your own children who are below a certain age, the age of reason, and they die, there is no having to worry about them. God is merciful. And all people, all people, and especially like aborted babies, you might wonder they never had a chance to even make a decision, or one-year-olds, or two-year-olds, or three-year-olds, or five-year-olds, or, yes. Oh, yeah. Is, that, is, is there a scripture that backs that up? Because I've always... Oh, there's a lot of them. I'll give them to you. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact... I was trying to find it, you know, at the accountability age and stuff, and I couldn't... Yeah, I'll tell you what. Okay. You, well, th so there's... Th well, we, that's another topic. Not a topic. It's a related topic. There's scripture that backs it up. And when you talk about, well, what is that line of demarcation for the agent, it varies for individual, but there is a lot of Jewish tradition mm -hmm. around it, and there's a lot of wisdom around when that is, and we know also through psychology that there are people who can be, you know, like children, have to be handled in a certain way through psychiatry and stuff like that, only because they know that there's a certain point that they just don't understand the ramifications of what they did, or what they could do, or what they didn't do, but there's a certain point that we all reach that we do know that there are consequences for action, that we do know right from wrong. And so that is a heuristic, though. That is, is individualistic, but there are some guidelines. It's sort of like, what does the scripture say a generation is, right? 
There are guidelines for what a generation is, but do we know exactly, you know, how many years an actual generation is? Well, we really don't. So it's a heuristic. But I'll give you those scriptures for sure. All right. All right. Job suffers miserably and feels that God has unfairly marked him out for that suffering, but he never charges God in all of this, saying that God was unfair. Job will find, as must we as well, that God will make himself better known through pain, suffering, and personal tribulation, many times much better than through seasons of joy and delight. Now, we've been taught that, but anybody who's been suffering really does know that. There's a, I think there's so many times that God is a just-in-time God, like when you, peep, when you get to your deathbed or when you're in a, a really bad situation, there, there are, God will make His presence known to you that you have never heard of before. And a lot of times you can't even share. You know, you think that we feel close to God, and we do, especially when we pray and we're, and we're living by the book and the Word and we study and we, we do those things. That keep, but you and I have never, never felt as close to God as someone who is close to death because God says... He says the death of, a, of his loved ones are, are precious in his sight. Doesn't that mean that the life of his loved ones are precious in his sight too? But he's got a special relationship for those who through hardship and especially close to death. I fully believe that. I have seen and talked to, not seen, but I've talked to people who've gone through some really severe suffering. And I know that I have been one of those in my own way. And I'll tell you the truth. I felt I understood God so much better coming out I felt closer to him. I felt I knew even better what he wanted me to do, what more of his plan for me was. It just felt him. And I put a scripture up in my office when I came out of my own personal trouble that says, it was Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will, absolutely, no question about it, in brackets I'm putting that there, there is no question, complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I had to post that on my wall because my major concern was that God was going to put me on the shelf and never use me again. And I can tear up when I think about that because I'm never going to explain to you what I went through. But God did it for my good. And I'll tell you, you probably have seen it too in your own lives where you think that what, 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 I, what I feared the most was going to happen to me and my fear the most at that time was not that I wasn't Christian or that I wasn't called, was I truly saved, none of that. My fear was that will God ever use me again? Because I know that we're all judged on what we do here. And if we don't do something and we do things wrong because we, just, you know, we don't follow God's plan, which is a, by the way, an act of the will, right? God will put you on the shelf. I know that. I know people who haven't put on the shelf. I believe I've known people, although I'm not 100% sure of this, but there's cases where God has taken people home early because they refuse to give Him glory in this life and do some awful things, right? That's all about suffering, folks. This is all it's all about here. All right. Among a number of things, suffering produces questions, and Job had many questions about God and who he is. Unfortunately, a lot of times during the suffering, these questions fail to produce answers. Job was really feeling that God was absolutely quiet. He was ignoring him. Maybe God was angry. So, of course, his friends step in and tell him, by the way, be careful what kind of a friend you are when you're counseling somebody. By the way, may I make one interjection here? I know it's getting late, but this is very important to me. Please don't consider yourself a counselor. Do not consider yourself a counselor, in my opinion. Because once you become a counselor, you change the relationship in your mind and your heart with the person who is the target or in need of your counsel. 
You should not be counseling anybody unless you know them well enough as a friend. The relationship dictates the amount of counsel. If you're a pastor or you're an elder or you're somebody else, well, then that relationship over the flock gives you certain license to counsel people in a certain way, my opinion, okay? Because I've seen this, and it can cause trouble. And believe me, I've caused some trouble in my own life for others when I've come down on them, when I was in that legalistic church I told you about. Please, don't just counsel. Be a friend to someone in need. Forget about what you're trying to teach them. Forget about what you need them to know. Because you're going to see this in Job's three friends, and God had to say to Job, who was the target of his three friends, and they all meant, well, you better pray for those guys, because they didn't tell you the right stuff. You don't want to be in that position. And I put myself in that position. I don't ever want to do that again. So I'd rather not counsel somebody other than just put my arms around them if, I, if they're close enough as a friend and just hold them. And that's hard for me, especially, look at me. Do I hold my tongue? <laughs> Police. <laughs> so I'm making my point here because I've learned some lessons in this business here, you know, personal lessons. I'm just trying to share them with you. We got about, oh, five minutes left. <laughs> Now, as far as the book of Job itself goes in Job, I really had a time trying to get my hand on some good hard dates surrounding him and this book. It's very difficult. Matter of fact, it is actually impossible. So I just can tell you that various Talmudic and rabbinical traditions, which they vary between each other, but the various Talmudic and, and, and Talmudic and some, and by the way, you know what the Talmud is, right? The Talmud is a very educated rabbinical discourse on what scripture really means. So you can see sometimes, you have to take that with a grain of salt, let's put it that way. Okay? And so, so it's, it's that plus the rabbinical, de rabbinical decisions, like uh, you know, they just come up with these ideas because they think a lot, which is, I guess, okay. And I'm sure that, uh, that throughout history, if you look at Jewish tradition, the Holy Spirit has given them, in their traditions, a lot of pointers to, to the relationship God has with His people. And so you can look upon them, like if you look upon the marriage supper and how we're the bride of Christ, all you have to really do is look upon the Jewish traditions of marriage and you'll see a lot of things that tightly integrate with helping us understand our relationship with God. So you can look at these things and, and read them and study them, but you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Okay? The same thing goes, by the way, for extra-biblical writings. My, I, I referenced the Book of Enoch and I will again. And there's good stuff in it, but you have to know enough about Scripture and history. You've got to know some history if you're going to look at extra-biblical writings because a lot of it has been changed. But the Book of Enoch has been referenced by the Book of Jude. The founding fathers, basically, above Jesus, you know, after Jesus, the very early fathers of the, of the actual church, not the Catholic church, the way, right? They looked at the Book of Enoch, and they believed it. And we know of the Book of Jasher, back in, I think, what, 1st or 2nd Samuel, wherever it was mentioned. So if you can get these writings, and I have a copy of the Book of Enoch on my website, should you care to take a look at it, just look at the overall thrust of it, which we're going to do, obviously, not today. But it dovetails into something I want to share with you in a moment here. So these traditions hold that Job lived at around the time of Abraham or Jacob, somewhere around there. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not exactly sure. And some of the rabbinical traditions hold that he actually lived during the time of Moses and that it's possible that even Moses wrote that book. But no one really knows. So I looked up some dates. By the way, have you ever looked at a study Bible that has at the beginning of each book, it might give you a timeline for the dates? Well, I also have this book called The Annals of the World by James Bishop Usher that was written in the 1600s. And it is a history of the world from the very beginning, from when Adam was created in 4004 BC. By the way, I showed you how all that worked with the gospel written in the stars if you were here. 
So if you ever want to know when the world was created, and by the way, it's also Jewish tradition shows because of the way there were certain alignments in the constellations that if the alignments, if you can use a computer program to go back and show, because the, the, the universe and everything in it moves like clockwork, you can reverse time and things will be aligned perfectly for Adam to be created as the first king of the world. And then starts the cycle to who will win, the king of the human line with Satan at the head or the king of the godly line through Jesus Christ with God the Father at the head. This is what this whole competition is about from beginning to end. So we have to take this with the great, these dates really vary. But I'm making a point here. If you take these traditions into account, and I just did a little quick math because just to see what it was like, <laughs> there is a span of approximately 240 years of uncertainty about the time of Job and exactly when and by whom the book was originally written. It's quite a bit of span of time when you look at human life. If you look at incidents in the Bible and events as the humans that were involved with them, there's a lot that could have gone on either way in that 240 years. So where you squarely put Job, my point is this, and we're going to break in a minute here. I'm trying to show you that no matter where you place Job himself alive as an adult when all this is happening to him, it was around the time when God started calling or around the time through the original call and response of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant and going through to Isaac, his promise, the promised son, and into Jacob. It could have been the time of Moses when Moses was called through the burning bush. All of these very important things were what? were the things that God used to introduce himself to a failed humankind. And remember, the Jews, which started through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were, were, the, were the vessel that the truth was to be given through, which they failed at. But if Job was alive in any portion of those men's lives, depending on how old they were when Job was alive, how much of the information that Job knew about God and his plan was given to him because he had heard it from them, or were they too young at the time? You see where I'm going with this? Something had to give Job something very important, because I want you to read this, and then we're going to wrap up here. Job chapter 19 and verse 21. This is very key, because I want you to think about this this week. Really think about the full import, and compare it to the time when you were called, when you actually understood who Jesus Christ really was, even if you'd heard about him before, when you really became a Christian, right? which was obviously before you were baptized. When you really knew that the truth was the truth and you knew it, something happened. You may have been brought up in a Christian home. You may have, like me, had no use for God at all. I believed in evolution. I, you know, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. That's the way I was until my 20s. Then God really called me. And I know what the sources he started bringing me to to learn. Everybody had a mentor in some way, state, or form, right? So what about Job? That's the question. And we're going to leave you with that question. We're going to read this here because Job knew something very, very, very important at that very early stage of human experience, right? No matter how you slice it, he was there at pretty much the very beginning of God's call, to human, direct call to human beings after Adam and Eve sinned. Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all that time. Why don't you read this? Read this with me, and I want you to feel the full import of this, if you please. Job 19 and 21. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Okay, we already know that. Why do you pursue me as God does? He's not chiding his friends because they keep on pushing him here. We don't forget, we're in, we're in chapter 19 here, so we, don't really have, we haven't seen all what his friends have done yet. That's not the point of what I'm getting to. He's responding here, and he's going to say something that's very key. 
Then he says in verse 23, Oh, that my words were recorded. Oh, well, they were in a book, Job. This is good. That they were written on a scroll. Oh, they were, Job. So that's a good start. And what does he say after that? That they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Well, they're engraved in the rock of Scripture because Scripture will be around forever, won't it? And here's the key. After he wants all his words written down for posterity, for the benefit of others, and to also maybe in his mind provide some usefulness for all the suffering, right? At least leave a legacy so that people can learn from what I learned through all of this, what I'm going through. He says here in verse 25, and I want you to catch this and think of what it takes to really know this. I know that my Redeemer, capital R, lives. You know what it takes for a human being to actually say that and know that? takes revelation from the Holy Spirit, direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, before the church to spread the gospel, in the infancy days of human beings even being called. Remember, there's a layer of abstraction now between God and humans since the fall. I know that my Redeemer lives, and listen to this. Not only does he know that, he says, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. He knows that Jesus is coming back. And after that, he says, in verse 26, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Do you think that's something that the church was supposed to give out many, many centuries after this? Think of the import of this. And then he says, which is the best wrap-up to all of this, verse 27, I, myself, myself, will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another. You see what he's making here? No one's going to show me God. When I die and I'm resurrected in a body, resurrection, he knew about that too because he said he's going to see him in his flesh with his own eyes. And then he says, how my heart yearns within me. I'm going to wrap up with that today. How did he know all this to that level at that time, whether it was Abraham, did Abraham say, hey, Joe, come here, I got to tell you something. It doesn't work like that, does it? Besides, Abraham had a lot of years of floundering around before he was really useful, right? And Jacob was a swindler. So are you saying, Mike, that that knowing is put in us? Absolutely. And I'm saying that that knowing, Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ, sacrificed and resurrected even at this time. Because time is a single instance to God. It does not exist the way we see it. This has already been a done deal. All he had to do was now inform that this is already done. That's why God says, I, I, I am Alpha Jesus. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I declare the end from the beginning. It's not that he just declares it. It's already been done. How many times we see that in Scripture? I'm trying to show you through the suffering that Job knew before he had, oh, did he go to a church and have to get pastor? Did he have to go to seminary? Did he have to get the, did he have Scripture? This is the oldest book in the Bible. There, were nothing, there was nothing written yet. Enoch was one of the first human beings, I'm going to show you this next week, that actually wrote and recorded anything. And by the way, how was Enoch used by God? Right? If you look at the book of Enoch, you'll see, I'm going to show you some amazing things that he probably knew because Enoch was before, and it was that, there was those scrolls, they're extra biblical, they're not canonized scripture, but they're very useful in what they show. And if you know Enoch and you know his personality, he came from Cain. But he was called out of that mess, just like Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. Job, I don't think, really had that benefit so much because from his youth, I think, he knew God and he was already prospered. My point is, just think about this this week. Think of the full import of just a few passages we read and we built up to. 
and we'll continue next week. Okay, have a great week, everybody.